Get out to the Sprint special guest line. Joining us now, he makes the magic happen for The Athletic. He is our dear friend, Sam Amick. Hi, Sam. How are you? Good afternoon, guys. Doing well. Uh, that's outstanding to hear. Lots to cover with you today, <laughs> Sam. Uh, uh, obviously, lots to cover with you. What do you think about the All-NBA selections? Rudy Gobert makes the third team. Kemba Walker qualifies for that Supermax. What do you think about the news today? Interesting stuff. I mean, what got my attention probably more than anything else was, uh, I don't know if you guys saw Clay Thompson's real-time reaction yeah. <laughs> with the, the, the Warriors media. For one, I felt bad for him because it's just one of those unfortunate times when obviously the news was breaking right as he went to go do media, and so he was caught off guard. And, the, you know, honestly, I, I probably agreed with him with his reaction specifically to Kemba Walker. Uh, I didn't vote for Kemba 13. Uh, I had Bradley Beal in that position. Thought he had, you know, for one, he's more of a two-way player. Um, but I can see Clay's complaint. You know, the, these are good problems to have if you're the Warriors, but they do now get overlooked a bit in the regular season, I think, because for one, people are not sure if they're competing at the highest level during the regular season because they're always kind of, you know, pacing themselves for April and May. And then, you know, it's also that tendency to uh, to just assume that, you know, just, I don't know, to give some of those other spots to other guys. So that one jumps out at me, and I don't have it in front of me to study it, but, but nothing else seemed to really get my attention. I think it, you know, it, it looked weird to see Kevin Durant's second team, um, things of that nature. But, you know, it's also, you know, Giannis, Paul George, guys like that have incredible years. Sam, you bring up a great point there, because if you have a team – where you have a great player on it and he is being unselfish and he is spreading the ball around to his teammates and uh, he's essentially sacrificing. He's sacrificing numbers and he's sacrificing opportunity for this kind of honor because it's in the best interest of his team. I I have no doubt that Clay, if Clay were on a team where he was needed to score, man, his numbers would, would be through the roof and we all know what kind of defender he is right i mean he's still giving you 20 points a night which is no small thing and he's doing it at a high percentage now he had a bad start to the regular season i don't know if you guys remember but he the, the running joke in the bay area media was it, it was like free agent clay it was the clay who wanted to show the world that he could dribble drive and his volume went up in terms of shot attempts and he seemed but there was a stretch there i think their coaching staff was a little frustrated with his shot selection. Um, but he ended up having a really, really good year. And, like, you, you know, Gordon, you use that word sacrifice. You're, you know, now you're talking about $42 million. And, and nobody's going to cry for Clay Thompson. He's going to make a ton of money anyway. But because he didn't get the All-NBA team, uh, that was the difference between the max contract that he could have gotten, which is five years, $233 million, versus five years, 191 Now, again, like – both massive numbers, but that's a ton of cash, and that's all based on the fact that he did not get on one of these All-NBA teams. Sam Amick of The Athletic with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And Sam, Gordon and I have had a running conversation over the last couple of days talking about Rudy Gobert. What do you think he needs to add to his game to take him from a third-team player to a first-team player? What, What does Rudy have to add to take it to the next level? Well, I mean, the two guys above him, when you're talking uh, about Jokic and Embiid, um, are now Jokic is a one-way player, right? 
and and Rudy, this is probably what frustrates him the most. Is I think that even some media members might still consider Rudy a one-way player. That's obviously not the case. He's an important part of their offense. But what happens here with a lot of these guys is, I think the collective identity of the team that they're on can impact them positively or negatively. Meaning, because the Jazz's offense is widely considered to you know to be subpar this season then nobody's really getting much offensive love. And I would almost equate it to Clay Thompson getting second team all defense. I actually debated with one of his people yesterday because they thought he should have been first team. And and my argument was, well, the Warriors did not defend on a Warriors level this season. And so there's not going to be a lot of defensive love thrown out in their direction. So with Rudy, I mean, it's improving the offensive game is obviously all he can do. Jokic is a just a one-of-a-kind, masterful offensive player who not only can score 30 for you but make other guys better and, and be the fulcrum of their offense. And then Embiid is a two-way player, a guy who's dominant on offense when he's at his best and who can be very dominant defensively as well. So um, Rudy took strides this year on the offensive end. You know, I, if I'm being honest, I think – if Jokic and Embiid continue to improve and keep pace, I think Rudy will have a pretty tough time ever getting the first or second team All-NBA. But, you know, never say never. Sam, we've probably talked with you about this before, but how do you feel about being part of the process that makes a difference in players' salary to the tune of $50 million? Because you are voting for these things, and so much responsibility is placed on those who participate in this. Um, so it's a, it's funny, Gordon, like I'm starting to get tired of it. If that, if that, if I'm being honest, like I, some of the reaction I did vote this past year, obviously I'm thinking twice about voting next year. Maybe I'm stuck in the moment, but I'm kind of tired of seeing the media get killed on social media. When like today, for example, Jared Dudley, who I think is, I love his personality and his career, but Jared was complaining yesterday about all defense. And one of my colleagues, uh, Tim McMahon of ESPN, had chimed in. And I think Howard Beck did also from Bleacher Report and said, like, okay, but who are you replacing on the all defense team? You can't just constantly complain about the selection without telling us how you would have done it differently. And that happens every year. And more importantly, the money stuff is just uncomfortable. Like, you know, even the Clay situation. I think Clay's a great player. Um, I thought Bradley Beal had a better individual year than him, but now there's a chance I'm around Clay a lot. Clay can, you know, I, I like the transparency in the media that we do publicize the votes, and I don't have any problem in a vacuum with my votes being publicized, but I'm not going to be disingenuous with you guys and, and not admit that it's like there's a chance that a player could say, oh man, you didn't even vote me. and like, I kind of don't need that headache. It's just unnecessary. And, <laughs> and again, the word that comes to mind is uncomfortable that I shouldn't, I don't like the idea that we are affecting their money, positive or negative. Um, and, and I also think it's also a little bit of stubbornness on my part. Like, all right, if you think you guys have it all figured out, then I can't wait to see the new system without us because the players absolutely fell on their faces when they were trying to vote for the all-star game. Um, you know, and that was a disaster because they just didn't take the process seriously. And, you know, so be careful what you wish for a little bit, but that's kind of how I see it. 
Sam Amick with us from The Athletic. And, Sam, I know you wrote about this, but uh, what would you make of Magic going scorched earth on the Lakers? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't love it, you know. And admittedly, for my for my normal style, like I kind of went scorched earth on him, which is not normally what I do. I just – it's funny, like, it's always kind of a trigger for me when I see people leading with their egos and their narcissism. And I thought that's what was happening here. Like to 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 go to such great lengths like Magic did to clear your name individually to to get your agenda out there to tell your side of the story. And I mean, listen, it's his side of the story. There are elements of truth in it, but it's not a, a documentary here. There was a lot of stuff he left out. There's a lot of stuff that I don't think he seems to understand. Um, chief among them, like complaining about the idea that there were too many voices in the room and, and, and really sounding like a guy who just wanted to have the gavel and to be the only one whose voice mattered. That's just not how today's NBA functions. And there's plenty of iconic former players who have come to realize that. You know what I mean? Like Jerry West, chief among them with the Clippers. Um, so I don't know. I thought it was a, a terrible look by Magic. And the thing I got hung up on the most was the idea that uh, he keeps saying that he loves the Lakers. And it's like, man, if you love the Lakers, you're not doing this because you're killing them in free agency right now. What do you make of the drama in Houston with uh, Chris Paul being a little unhappy with ball movement? And uh, when you talk about a lack of ball movement with the Rockets, guess who you're pointing the finger at? James Harden. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, no doubt. It's it's uh, it's interesting. Shameless plug here, gentlemen. But I... Uh, Later today, I'll be putting together it's the, the third installment of the Mike D'Antoni Q&A for me this season. Um, I talked to Mike this morning, and it was, it was not, that was not the, the uh, impetus for the call. I just wanted to, to check in on his coaching situation and then reflect on that series a little bit. But we had a pretty good chat, so I'll have a pretty robust Q&A coming by tomorrow morning. Um, and I did get a chance to ask him that question about you know the report that we had it was Sean Sharania at the Athletic and, and Kelly Eco the beat writer had helped him so I mean predictably he downplayed it you know he said he even in, in a in a good natured way he gave us a hard time he goes oh I think that's a case of you guys trying to print something that wasn't nearly as big a deal but at the same time he certainly didn't deny that it took place I think it's just people with good reason find it very interesting when we learn about you know, the internal discussions that sometimes happen. And we all probably could have guessed that those type of philosophical, you know, conversations take place, but uh, we don't really ever know. So this was interesting reporting and not shocking because that was a devastating loss for them. And, you know, but he downplayed it. He said, you know, we always talk about ways to play better and get better. And, and he, he said, you know, that wasn't, wasn't all that big of a deal. How quickly is Chris Paul's contract becoming a burden? Uh, I mean, about a year ago, it became a burden. <laughs> um, it's, I don't know. Um, it's a ton of money for a guy that seems to be on the back end. And not only that, he doesn't. he's playing for a team where even if he wasn't on the back end, we wouldn't necessarily be able to, to know or tell because James has the ball in his hands 90% of the time. So, you know, it makes me think of guys like Andre Iguodala, um, even LeBron, where 
where we think they're done and then we, we, we say they're washed and then they have some resurgence. I mean, it's going to be tough for Chris to even have a resurgence as long as he plays on James Harden's team. And so it's hard for him to make all that money that he that he has on that contract. So on top of that, I just his series against the Warriors, he didn't play very well. Uh, he had some moments, but he didn't play well overall. And I even talked to Draymond Green about this, like how Chris's antics and the degree he's always been a guy who'll flop and try to get the call but it just was on a different level in that series and the the analogy I had used was it's like when you play your older uncle and pick up basketball and they just they got nothing left and um, they just try to pull every trick in the book because they can't play you know they can't get by you anymore so they stick the foot out and they stick the butt out and you know, it just it sounds, I mean, that's obviously not a flattering thing to say about him, but he was doing a ton of that. And it just, I think it sent this message that he couldn't keep up with those other guys on the floor and he was trying to pull all the tricks out. So, Sam, while the Warriors are, I don't know, playing Parcheesi or whatever they're doing to kill time, what do you make of what's happening in the East and who do you like there now? Um, I'm excited for this game tonight. It's... Um, I don't know what to think. I mean, I thought it was Milwaukee running away with it after the first two games. Um, you know, and then these two Raptors wins have been unique on their own. You know, it's been Kawhi domination and, you know, everything Kawhi in that overtime game. And then it's been, um, I don't know if my memory's failing me. Am I right on that? Did they go OT in game three? Game three, yes. Yeah, okay. Just want to make sure I had that right. Um, and then game four, you know, he seems to be ailing. If I had to guess, it's that right leg. Um, and the role players step up. I mean, it was incredible. And Nick Nurse, the Raptors coach, had even said himself that the narratives change quickly. And he's right. They, we are guilty of changing narratives too quickly. And so it went from the Raptors don't have a bench to, holy smokes, the Raptors bench is great. And Norman Powell waking up and Fred Van Vliet and all those guys. So... I don't know what to think about anymore because I, I does appear that defensively that the Raptors have something here uh, as it pertains to Giannis and slowing him down. They build that wall, and he, you know, I mean, if you think about his last two games, you know, Game Three struggles big time, twelve points. I mean, that's that's a, a huge, huge victory for the Raptors. Game Four, he got loose early and had twelve points, I think, in that first quarter. And then really got slowed down from there. You know, Marcus Saul has just proven to be a fantastic pickup for the Raptors because not only is he helping them defensively, but their assist rate is up in a big way on the offensive end when he's on the floor. So, you know, you don't have to depend on Kawhi all the time. You can actually get other guys involved and run the offense through Mark a little bit. So I don't know what to think anymore. I mean, the Bucks need Eric Bledsoe to wake up and some of those other guys to step up, you know, Brooke Lopez to bounce back as well. But I think it's a great series so far. Sam, as always, thank you so very much for jumping on with us. Enjoy the game tonight. You got it. Thanks, guys.